Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome back to a special mix-up episode of T4C. If you're graduating this spring or next spring, or if you've recently graduated or know someone who's recently graduated and you or they aren't feeling passionately about what kind of job or industry to pursue, then you are in exactly the right place. Because this special mix-up episode features four recent college grads who've all discovered their passion and they also get into how they did it. But before I introduce you to them, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career insights, tips, and inspiration from professionals in dozens of industries. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guests today include Alex Valadis, a 2015 grad who at the time of our interview was a product lead at LinkedIn. Caroline Muja, a 2018 grad who at the time I spoke with her was an associate product marketing manager at Oscar Health. Austin Belsack, a 2013 grad who, when we sat down to talk, was the Director of Partnership Development at Microsoft. And finally, Dan Nian, another 2015 grad who, when we spoke, was a marketing manager at British Telecom. Back in the fall of 2016, did you have any idea what you were going to do with your double major in computer science and economics. Yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of time in my life because I think coming into college, I really had no clue what I wanted to do. I was proficient in a number of subjects. There wasn't any that were like, oh, I'm awful at this. Like I wasn't like awful at math. I wasn't like awful at writing. And that's not to like put myself up. It was more so that it was less clear what I should do. And I sort of kind of blindly followed this path of engineering. I was actually involved with like nuclear engineering at first, working for a company that my dad worked at. And I remember I took my first internship and I was like, I cannot do this for my life. This is not something that personally interests me. It's objectively cool, but it's not a fit. And so going into my junior year, I actually made this late change in majors from engineering to computer science and economics. And that was really done because of these side projects I was doing. Every time we spun something up, it was like software could help solve that. And I just wanted to get closer to it. So going into my sort of last semester, 
I had a number of internships under my belt. I had these what I'd call like kind of hot majors in the tax space and as well as the economics degree. However, I actually didn't have a full-time offer going into the final semester. And that caused a lot of anxiety for me because I didn't have the best GPA because I invested a lot of time into these side projects and internships and all that. And I also was like, I want to go into this field of product management. It's extremely competitive to get into. And so what I really did is I just got extremely focused. I said, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do everything in my power to land a role there. I honed in on two or three companies that I felt I had a chance of getting into that role. And into it happened to be one of the companies that recruits heavily from Wisconsin because... Obviously, you know, Silicon Valley companies aren't always coming out to the Midwest, which I think is a shame because there's a lot of great talent out there. But fortunately for me, uh, Scott Cook, the founder of Intuit, his wife was alumni. They invested heavily in recruiting and I was able to make the right connection and, and land a role. And it, it's been truly life changing so far. And I can't imagine if not starting in this space, given how much I care about it. So you've alluded to this now, the fact that you didn't have a great GPA and you did manage to get your foot in the door at Intuit. You actually had, I think, four offers by the time you graduated. Is that right? Yeah, I was able to lock down four different ones, which I think it, it was done in a very incremental way. But yeah, there were four on the table at the time, which didn't make the decision any easier, but is a good problem to have. So I want to tee up a great story in your book, Modern College, in which you talk about the winter. It's probably almost always the winter at Wisconsin because it's so cold. It's the middle of a blizzard and you were leading, I think you were the president of a club and you had had an event. You had a program that was due at midnight in one of your classes and there was a career fair that was taking place like a mile away on campus. And you're like, do I go? Do I not go? Ah, and you ended up deciding to go. And while you're running through the snow, I, I my heart breaks where you fell down, you hurt yourself. And so you kept powering through and you made it to the career fair. And why don't you pick up the story there and tell us what happened? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, to your point, I, I felt kind of dumb as I'm going into this. We we have this center. Uh, it's called the Cole Center. It's where a lot of sports teams play and they set up the career fair. And as I'm walking in there, I'm kind of soaking wet because I fell in the snow. I'm actually getting there for the last 10 minutes of the career fair. So most of the booths, they were already taken down. So like people have been there for hours. I've been to your point uh, or what you referenced earlier, like at this meeting for this org that I was deeply involved in. So I'm in there and I was like, okay, I just want to talk to one company. I want to talk to Dell. I know they're in the tech space. If I can just get there and maybe get an intro, maybe something will happen. I don't know. So I'm walking up there. I, I find the map and I'm like, okay, Dell's like, you know, on the other side. So I, I sprint over there and I kind of take like a minute to compose myself. And I see kind of guy wrapping up with one person. And as the other person walks away, I walk up and I, I shake his hand and I'm sure I'm like sweaty and I was like mumbling my words. So I'm, I'm so anxious. And initially it kind of goes nowhere. I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm a big fan of Dell. And you can tell the guy is just completely exhausted. He's like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go back to my hotel and get ready to fly back to Texas. And I actually like go to turn away and I'm like, well, crap, I'm going to fail my program because I went to this career fair. Um, I didn't get any offers. And I kind of just had this like, moment of inspiration where I was like, 
I knew a friend on campus. His name was Brian. He had mentioned he'd worked at Dell. And I was like, I know personal connections mean a lot in the professional space. Like, I'm going to name drop him and just see what happens. So I actually turned back and I'm like, Hey, random question. Do you by chance know Brian? And this guy had actually ended up working with him at the same time at Dell. And they were really good friends. And that immediately struck up a conversation. He was like, Oh, you know, Brian, okay, let's get you on the interview docket. So I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is incredible. So I, I gave him my email. The next day, I got an email from a VP for a slot later in the week. And the rest is history. I got an internship at Dell, which helped launch my career. And it's just amazing to look back on. It would have been very easy for me to have just said, I don't want to go to this career fair. I need to focus on this school assignment. It's cold out. I don't want to go there. There's only 5 minutes. And it's often during these moments you least expect it that the biggest changes come in your life. So... I'm really wow. glad I went there. <laughs> I bet. And as you point out in your book, Modern College, the fact is you were involved not only in these other enterprises on campus, these different startups, but you were also a member of a fraternity. And this guy, Brian, was a frat brother of yours. And for our viewers yep. and our listeners, you point out in your book, they need to be looking around at their classmates that they're meeting through all these different activities as the beginning of their professional network. Absolutely. And, it, and it's funny because I actually wasn't super involved in my fraternity. I, I think a lot of people these days, they go on to fraternities or sororities to meet people. And I didn't really have that issue because I went to college in the same state I'd grown up in. So I entered campus with probably over like 100, it's not 200 people where I, I could walk up and have a conversation with them and I knew them. But I was intrigued because one thing I saw was that these fraternities would attract a lot of people from the coast who basically didn't know anyone. And they were like, we want like a network. And I'm glad I did it because I met all these different people. And although I wasn't as involved in the process, and there's certainly plenty of scrutiny on the fraternity system, probably for good reason, it did introduce me to people and it, it taught me the power of a network. And so it was just another organization to meet people that had different interests than me or the same interests and could actually give me sort of an intro to a space. So whether you're in a fraternity or in academic org, I, I did all of them. And it's just some of the best networking you can possibly do in college. You said that you started out this position as an internship. Was it unpaid or paid? It was paid. Okay. So there was no expectation or maybe very little expectation that it would turn into a full-time gig. Is that right? That is right. Yes. I reached out to them and they were only able to offer an internship at that time because they didn't know if they would have the space for a full-time position. At that point, I was a little bit hesitant because I was so gung-ho about I want a full-time job and all of the salary and everything. But there was something that was pulling me to take a risk. It was a risk and it was, in a sense, delaying my job search. It felt that way at the time. But it was ultimately very rewarding. And I think a great example that the most unexpected things can turn into what you were looking for. I'm really happy that I took that risk. I encourage listeners to be open to those internships or contract positions. 
because you never know when you may be the right fit. And it may just take that company knowing you and seeing your skills to say, hey, that's the person that I want on this job. Absolutely. And I actually had a similar situation when I was pretty early in my own career. I had moved into journalism and my first job was working for a member station of National Public Radio in Columbia, South Carolina. I was a reporter there and was earning such a small amount of money I could barely get by. And I ended up kind of talking my way into getting a free ticket on Amtrak to do a story about travel up the Eastern Corridor. And I used that story to apply for a vacation relief position at one of the all news radio stations in Washington, D.C., where I am from originally. And there was no expectation that it would turn into a full-time position. In fact, the person whose position I was filling in for was out on maternity leave. So she was definitely going to be coming back in three months, but it turned into a full-time gig. And so sometimes you've got to roll the dice. And I ended up working there for two years. So totally get that. By the way, I also want our listeners to know that I had the pleasure of interviewing the founder and CEO of Mind Body Green in T4C episode 89, Jason Wachob. So definitely if you're interested in learning more about Mind Body Green, check out that episode. So Caroline, I want to flashback very quickly to your time as an undergrad at Middlebury College in Vermont. You majored in environmental studies with a concentration in psychology. Did you have any idea what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? I did not. I knew that I was passionate about health and wellness and I was pretty confident that I wanted to be in a mission-driven role and do something that was supporting the greater good. So I knew that much, but I did not know how this major was going to link to a job. There was definitely no job description out there that said environmental studies and psychology associate, (laughs) if that's a thing. There was nothing that had a direct line. I think for a while, that was a little paralyzing because... I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to begin. But I knew that I wanted to help other people. That's where I kind of began digging around job sites and talking to my parents' friends and talking to mid-grads about their jobs, asking them, what's the day-to-day like? Do you feel like you're making a difference in your job? And just through these conversations, I was able to kind of narrow down what types of companies I was interested in. I didn't know exactly how my major was going to link to a job. But what my major did do was it highlighted the importance of social mission to me. It highlighted the importance of psychological well-being and sort of all of these threads through psychology and through the environment brought to the forefront that I wanted to make a difference in the world. That kind of gave me the freedom to look at different industries. I didn't feel the need to stay in wellness per se or environmental studies. It was sort of just a freedom to explore social good in a way. And that can take on many different meanings. 
I've learned in my jobs so far, even in the most unexpected ways, we can all find social good and social mission and purpose in our jobs. I would say that's how my major sort of influenced my search. Thanks. That is really interesting to hear. And it actually confirms a lot of what I've seen among many other professionals who at the time can't really see how to disaggregate their major in a way that makes sense in a particular career track. But I think that if you follow your interests and the way that you boiled it down, Caroline, was so sophisticated to be perfectly frank. I mean, to see that there were those threads of social mission being important to you and psychological well-being and trusting yourself enough. And we know that your dad, Will, gave you awesome advice to be patient and not put so much pressure on yourself to say that you would maybe go into a safer career because it would be easier to lock down. It might not necessarily be one that you would feel kind of your heart being pulled towards, but maybe more your pocketbook. So there you are, new college grad, it's 2013, and you've got a job with J&J. What was it like? So the way that the job was set up was Johnson & Johnson was the parent company, but they owned this company called Depew. And Depew has a specific setup where they have distributorships and each distributorship sort of operates as its own business. So I think J&J is actually a pretty good company to work for. I was like three steps removed from actually working at J&J. I worked essentially for an entrepreneur, if you will. This person who eventually was deemed to be worthy of running the territory or the distributorship. And something that you see a lot in the professional world is people who are great individual contributors are not always the best managers or the best people to run a business. And so this guy came in and and he did a great job of running the business. Don't get me wrong. They were making money and profits hand over foot. Not the best people manager though. And so there were a couple of things going on with this job. First, we mentioned the sight unseen piece. So I just accepted the salary that was given to me. I didn't negotiate. I didn't think about cost of living or anything else. So I move into this apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina. And between my car payment and the insurance on the car and my rent, I'm basically eating up like 80 to 90% of my monthly earnings. So I barely had enough money to get by. And I ended up discovering the magic of credit cards. And I racked up about 15,000 bucks of credit card debt in the first couple of months out of school. So that wasn't great. But then on top of that, The job was really grueling. So essentially, surgeries happen at 6 in the morning. That's when they start. And if you are part of the team, you need to get there early. So people are typically arriving around 5.30 in the morning at these hospitals to get ready for surgery. But the thing for me is I was essentially the backup rep. So I was based in Charlotte. We covered North and South Carolina. There's a lot of miles in those states. So if somebody would call me up maybe in, let's say, Asheville, North Carolina, which was two, two and a half hours away, they'd call me up the night before and say, hey, we need you tomorrow morning for cases. So I would have to wake up at you know, 2.33 in the morning to drive to Asheville and be there by 5.30 in order to make it in time for cases. And I was doing this six days a week. So I was basically waking up at 2.33 in the morning, Monday through Friday. And then on Sunday, I, would, I wouldn't have to get up early, but I would have to eat up my Sunday going to drive somewhere for cases the next day. So that was 
every single day. And that obviously was not a very fun work setup. But on top of it, the person that I reported into, my manager, just didn't treat me very well. He nothing I did was good enough. He kept telling me, you know, I didn't have a future in this industry and, you know, I wasn't gonna cut it. And so this combination of having debt, being sleep deprived and having somebody tell you that you're not good enough every day, it really it wears on you. And so I started searching for a way out and I tried to find I tried to make something happen quickly. So how did you pivot into an entirely different industry which you did? As we mentioned, you studied biology, you went into sales. How did you get into marketing because you moved from Charlotte to North Carolina and started working in your next job as an account manager at RevTrax. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you get that job? Yeah, so there were a number of things that that happened, but really there was one book that was given to me by a friend. You may have heard of it. It's called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And at this point it's sort of become it, it, at that point, it was sort of it had this cult following. Now it's become very mainstream, and you know some people have different thoughts about it. But that book was really life changing for me because essentially in it, Tim says more or less two things that I took away from it, which were one, just because everybody is doing something or telling you to to do something doesn't mean it is the right or best way to do that thing. And then number two was we don't have to accept the situation that's given to us, we can create our own opportunities. And there's there's so many golden nuggets in there. But that sparked a couple of things in me. One, reading some of the case studies and reading what Tim had did, that really sparked my desire to be an entrepreneur. I didn't really want to work in corporate America or in a 9 to 5. I wanted to have my own thing. And that was my goal for a very long time. But then on top of that, I realized, you know, I'd been applying online to so many places, and I just wasn't hearing back from any of them. And I didn't know what to do. And then I read that book. And I said, Well, everybody's telling me to do this, it's not working, you know, maybe there's a better way, maybe there's a way that people haven't discovered yet. And so reading that book was really a pivotal moment for me. Because once I learned that, at this point, I was a couple months into the job search. I had applied to about 250, 300 different companies, and I didn't hear anything back. So I took a step back and I said, "All right, let me let me write down the criteria for my dream job." And that was basically I, I sat down and I thought about where I wanted to work. And so I think a lot of people struggle with where they want to go. That wasn't really the issue for me. And, I've I've coached a lot of people who do struggle with that. So we can talk about that if you'd like. But for me, I looked around and my goal was simple. It was I want to be an entrepreneur has an online business. So I might as well work in the field that gives me experience to do that, which is essentially tech and, and digital marketing and advertising. And on top of that, while I work towards that goal, I eventually wanted I wanted to get to a company where I could just say I work here and everybody knew what that was and everybody thought it was cool. I didn't want to have to explain the weird thing that our company did because I had to do that many times and it was annoying. So I set my sights on tech because at this time I remember, you know, my friend sent me this app called Uber and he was like, dude, you got to check this out. It's super cool. And I looked at it and you could book like a black car from the airport to your house. And like that was it. And it was hundreds of dollars. And I was like, I could never afford this. This is not cool. Like this is cool, but like this is this is not for me. But obviously that had a lot of buzz at the time. And Facebook was really starting to hit its stride. And and so it was sort of the golden age of tech. And I I said this is really cool. I like tech. I like the internet. I'm reading these books about creating online businesses. Like, let me explore this space. 
So I set my sights on Google, Microsoft, Twitter, places like that. And I basically jotted down my criteria. So it was to work for one of those companies was number one. Number two was to be living in a major city in New York, a San Francisco, in LA, something like that. I wanted to be making six figures a year. And I wanted to be able to work basically from wherever I wanted and whenever I wanted. I didn't want to be chained to a desk in an office from 9 to 5. So those were my criteria. And I basically went on LinkedIn and I found people who not only met those criteria, but also came from a non-traditional background. So I tried to find people who, let's say, worked at Google on their digital marketing you know, products who didn't come from a tech background or a marketing background. So I tried to find as many of those people as I could. And I talked to, I think, about 25 or 30 of them. And I just was a sponge. I asked them a million questions about their the strategies they used, how they handled these different conversations, what was one thing that they did that nobody else was doing, so on and so forth. And through those conversations, two things came out of it. One, there were very common threads. And then two, there were strategies that I could cherry pick and use myself. But basically, what it came down to was all of these people had two things in common. The first was they all got a referral into the job that they were currently in. They, they didn't necessarily apply online except outside of a formality. And then two, most of them had done what we just talked about before, which is they found a creative way to showcase their value. They had either some sort of portfolio online or some body of work that they could point to to say, this is the value that I bring. Like This 8.5 by 11 black and white sheet of paper called the resume doesn't do justice to who I am. Let me show you who I am. And so they created this body of work. And I took those two principles and I basically made it my mission to tear apart the hiring process, understand how it worked, and leverage those two principles to make the transitions. You went to Lossborough University and graduated with honors and a degree in geography with economics. Did you know, Dan, what you wanted to do? Did you have any idea what you wanted to do with that degree in 2015 when you graduated? Well, I'm just going to pick you up on your pronunciation of that word though first. That is funny because nobody who's not in the UK can pronounce that. (laughs) Did I say it wrong? It's Loughborough. Oh, it doesn't it look like that at all. It's like, it's like we've got Leicester, Leicester in the UK. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's spelled Leicestershire. Yes. It looks nothing like the, how, the, how it's pronounced. And yeah, anyway. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so my degree, geography with, with economics, we do A-levels in the, in the UK. So that's before university, you've got college, which is where you study A-levels. And I picked English language, psychology, geography, and economics. I did pretty well in geography. I enjoyed it. Did pretty well in economics. I enjoyed it. What do I want to do for a degree? Hmm. Someone said to me, do what you enjoy. Okay, cool. I'll do both. <laughs> so I actually did. I actually went into university doing economics with geography. So my major part of my degree was economics with geography. Then I quickly realized that I didn't do A-level maths. So I was thinking, oh, this is going to be tough. So I quickly changed my course about two weeks in to make geography the major and economics the lesser one. So yeah, that's how it happened really. And no, it wasn't planned. It wasn't like a perfectly planned out thing. I, I considered doing things like law, but I did a couple of weeks experience before that and I hated it. So that wasn't for me anymore. And I was pretty much just winging it, to be honest. What do you want to tell those students, Dan, who will be graduating in just a short while here in 2021, especially for those who have no clue, like you didn't, like I didn't, like the vast majority 
of the people that I've interviewed on Time for Coffee had no idea. I think most people, no idea. How can they find the right fit? Oh, it's a good question. Well, first thing I'd say is don't worry about not knowing. Don't stress because no one really does unless you were just born with, I don't know, I want to be a doctor. Like my mom, she, my mom wanted to be a nurse or a doctor her whole life. She just knew and she went into that and that's what she's doing forever. But that's just not the way I was. So, and a lot of, a lot of people now in this generation aren't like, aren't that way. And I think you were similar, right? You didn't really know what you wanted to do. So I'd say take that pressure off of yourself because no matter what your degree is, you will have gained a lot of transferable skills, a lot of personal policies, things that can be adapted to any position really. And there are other things you can do to help you get to where you want to be, like side hustle and online courses and that kind of stuff. So yeah, don't worry. I know people in who did a chemistry degree are now in sales or a computer science degree who are now in marketing. I'm trying to think of some others, but yeah, you get the picture, right? Most people go into careers that aren't associated with their degree. So don't worry about that too much. You know, that's a, that's an interesting one because I think it's really hard to know what you want to do at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, right? And to people say, follow your passion, follow your passion. But what does that really mean? I don't know. So what I'd, what I'd suggest doing is probably maybe break it down a bit more. And I usually say, you know, because what people do when they come out of university or whether they're at university looking for a placement is go to the job sites, go to LinkedIn, go to the job boards and just scroll through and have a look. And, you know, I understand why they do that. But you're looking at it from the wrong way. I always say flip it on its head. Start from the top, not the bottom. So identify two to three industries that you're passionate about or not passionate about that you think you would enjoy. You're interested right? in. You're yeah. interested in, exactly. So, you know, it might be fitness and health. It might be beauty and fashion and things like that that you enjoy your day to day life. Start there. Research some companies that are in them. Let's, t- let's take five companies. Maybe it's top companies or a mixture of big and small ones. And then you can start learning how they are structured, what their departments look like how they operate, et cetera. And then you can maybe look at how do I get into that, that industry and that company and what roles are available there? That's the first thing I'd suggest. You just flip it on its head and do that, break that down because then you might have a bank of 15 companies that you can actually target in certain ways, which is probably a little bit more of an evolved conversation. But start with that. And then I think just sort of, what do you enjoy really? That, that's the first thing. So think about yourself, how you like to work, how you like to live your life. Do you like working with people? Do you like communicating all the time? Do you like variety in your role? Or would you rather be a specialist? Like you don't want to just do one thing and learn that and be amazing at it. Some people like more structure in terms of their progression level. So I do this qualification, I go up 3K. I do that qualification, I go up five. And then when I get to there, I'm there. And others like more fluidity where they can move through in different areas. So it's about like really, and then, you know, in terms of creativity, someone might be really naturally creative, but someone else might be like great with numbers and really enjoy that. So it's understanding what you like first. And then a combination of those two things will start to create a bit of a better picture. I always say to people, try and get like a, a, a statement, like a vision statement of what it could be. So it could be as, as simple as, I would like to do a creative role in the charity industry. Or I would like to be in a, a, a sales or gr- growth focused role in the tech industry. Something along that, you know, that nature. And I think if we want to take it a little bit further, <laughs> once you get to the departments, what's really important to understand in business is that every single department in a business is there for a purpose and a reason. So can you map yourself to that purpose? That's a great way to that's a great way to look. So sales as an example is about profit, it's about growth. Where will you get your satisfaction from if you see 
if the profit go up and you bring a customer in and your commission goes up, for you, is that going to be a cool thing? Is that going to be a good day? If you look at maybe HR, which is actually the opposite. So we're not focused on the profit right now. We're looking inwardly at the company. Can we make a better culture for our people? It's very much a people-focused role, learning and development. Are we recruiting correctly? Are we retaining the right talent? And they're not judged on making profit. They're judged on company culture and engagement. So think about you and think about what you enjoy. And can you map yourself to those different departments? I love that you just use the word map because when you were describing what you do in your current role and what you were doing when you first started the grad scheme with BT, I started seeing how what you studied as a geography major and an economics major was mapping to those roles. Yeah. I, I, when I reflect back like that, yes, I think it has done because geography for me was was more analytical. It was looking at different opinions and it's not black and white. Like it's a lot of the time it's it's not like scientific. It's it's more like can you take multiple opinions from different areas? and create your own and form an argument. That's what for me what it was. And it was very much essay based. So that was cool. But then the flip side of that was economics. It was very logical. It was about numbers and mathematics and X, <laughs> X plus Y equals, you know, so a combination of those two things for me has definitely helped in marketing role today because everyone has an opinion in marketing. So you have to be able to tell your story and use evidence to do that. So it's like a combination of the two. So Maybe it does, but yeah, I, didn't I love that it. At the time. I love it. Okay, I have two final T for C questions for you, Dan, and these are questions that I try to ask all of my guests. And the first one is to share a time in your professional life when you struggled. We've already talked about that two-year gap, and maybe, and when I say gap, you were working, but you weren't doing your dream job. You had been rejected a couple of times. Maybe that's it. Maybe you even failed or face planted. I guess the answer is yes. How you persevered and if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's quite a few times when I failed and, and messed up and made mistakes throughout my career. And I used to really hate myself for that. You know, I used to really take it personally. Now I don't. Now I see it as a bit of a blessing. Like if I'm failing, well, I'm, it means I'm growing. I'm learning. So mindset is important there. But if there's there's one example which was quite unsettling actually, I just secured my call it full time role, the first role after the graduate program. And it was to look after well, to be in the team responsible for businesses. BC Fleet was one of those businesses, which is a, a, a again one of the largest fleet companies in the UK. BC Fleet of Finamar was involved in that. And it was only after I signed the contract a few weeks into that role, the big announcement that BC Fleet was being sold. Now, I'm sitting in their office. I'm literally sitting next to all the product teams and the CEO and everything. So that just created a ripple of uncertainty throughout the office. And for me, I'm thinking I've settled now. I can learn my trade. I can just you know embrace it. And I'm in a good position. Business is doing well. It's growing great. Happy. So that caused a lot of stress for me. And then a few weeks after that, my boss sits me down and goes, Dan, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving BC. And I was like, you are joking. So not only has the business sold that I'm sitting in and I've just signed this contract. By the way, I just bought my house at this point. So it was just, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And now my boss is leaving and I went into like stress mode, like big time stress mode. And I think this has really taught me how to navigate change and uncertainty in, especially in a large 
complex organization. What I did to help me through that, and this is really a, a key takeaway for anybody starting their career, even just you know navigating their career, is your network is so, so valuable. Who you build relationships with, especially at times that are tough, is what's going to help you get through. I had a mentor, which I actually proactively reached out to on LinkedIn to ask her, who was HR leader in BC. Not in my area, not in, you know, in a totally different part, but she respected that I had taken time to look at her career and how we could fit together and that worked. And she even said to me to this day, you know, you're the only person I still keep in contact with in terms of mentors because of the how we, we approached that. So I got, I got conversation in with her straight away. Also put conversations in with the head of marketing for that role and my old boss in supply chain just to help them you know, tell them what was happening here and ask them how I could navigate this. And it was actually through those conversations that my mindset totally shifted. I actually started seeing this as an opportunity to take this for my own, you know, take final mile, which is the other part of my business, step into my boss's shoes and own it. And if I could prove that I could own it for six months, 12 months, whatever, they might not hire someone and you might be able to get that job. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So I went from chaos, you know, oh my God, this is going to be awful. Am I going to keep my job to thinking, you know what, let's go, let's do this. And that's exactly what I did. I actually took on that role, started sitting in our leadership team meetings, um, started proving myself and I owned it and the rest is history. So Amazing. What an incredible story. I love that. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, look, it wasn't easy, but this, yeah, sometimes things happen. And my, the head of marketing actually said to me at the time, it's in the worst times, like in the times that you think the worst and the failures that the best opportunities can come because not many people can say that they've been in a company that is being sold and their manager quits because it opens up an opportunity for you. So it's, it's just how you look at this. Like, you can you can embrace this. So almost see failure as like a and and uncertainties now as like a, an opportunity and a blessing. Like okay, what can I do? I look at it with like more of a laser focus now. Let's go get it, sort of thing. <laughs> Which is strange because at the time I was like, my career is going to be in a bin. You know. I think there could be a lesson here for our young listeners who are graduating in the middle of this pandemic. Maybe they could flip it around too and see it as an opportunity. Where are those opportunities? Because they're out there. We both know it because 80% of existing jobs are not posted, which is why your network is so important. Last question. If you could go back to Loughborough, did I say it right? Loughborough. Oh, good. To Loughborough. Sorry, to Loughborough. And do it all over again, Dan. But based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Are you saying that is this me doing the degree that I've chosen or totally changing it? If you could do it all over again, if you were back in school, if you were entering your first year and you could do it all over again, but with the the mindset, the wisdom, everything you have right now, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I wish I knew what <laughs> I wish I knew now what I knew back then. I tell you, sorry, I wish I knew back then what I knew now. That wrong, but I think I would have focused way more before I even went to university on what a career could look like for me, and I would have maybe chosen a degree which is more relevant to the business world. I knew I wanted to be in business, so maybe a business management degree would have been a good opportunity. I would have done lots more, but I tried lots more experiences, internships, social media marketing. I would have tried to do some stuff for free for people. I would have done 
I didn't join any societies. I wasn't a member of any, of any societies. I would have done charity work, a lot more volunteering work. Because, that, again, that is valuable. And I would have honestly just started thinking about what my career would be straight away. Because for me, the end of university was like, that's it. I'm done. You know, I, I never, throughout my whole school life, I never thought past that. It was, the goal was always get to uni, get my degree, get to uni, get my degree. The rest is going to be absolutely fine. And then it hit, it hit me. I was like, whoa, okay, the real world isn't, you know, it's not going to be easy because everything's mapped out for you within the education system. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into this world. So start, you, oh, and the other thing is using LinkedIn. My God, I only started using that seriously last year. And wow, if I had started using it back then, I'd probably be like a massive influencer now, you know, I'd be off flying all over the world doing talks and stuff. So. You'll get there. You'll yeah. get there. No doubt about it. He just had a post. How many, uh, how many likes did you just get? Yeah, it's on like, let me just check it now. It's on <laughs> he, was like eight, he was like 1,800 getting close to 1,900. Yeah, what are we on here? With 90,000 views. 1,862. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, incredible. So he's on his way, folks. He is on his way. If you want to learn more about Dan, you want to connect with him on LinkedIn for sure. Follow him. He writes great posts. His last name is spelled M-I-A-N, Dan Mian. And Gradvance is the name of his company. If you want to check it out, it's all connected on LinkedIn. Yeah, head over to Instagram at Gradvance, G-R-A-D-B-A-N-C-E. I post or we post daily formative, educational, inspiring, motivational content, really, which is all around mindset, you know, CVs, cover letters, everything, you know, I try and give as much as I can. And that's the reason I started the community. It's just, and I've had, you know, we've had so many people getting jobs at amazing companies through, through Gradvance, you know, some huge, amazing roles as well. So yeah, it's going really well. So come and check it out and, and send me a DM and say hello. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org, or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.